If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor, and it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection, and I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. there. Welcome to the podcast. I am so glad you are here. We have a fantastic episode for you today. Today I'm talking with Carlos Rodriguez, who is a pastor, an activist, a communicator, and a self-described provocative preacher. He's the author of the books Simply Sonship, Drop the Stones, and an upcoming book called Proximity. He and his wife, Catherine, have three children and this summer are moving to Puerto Rico to continue the relief efforts all over the Caribbean. You may recognize Carlos's work from his website, happysonship.com, where he has a blog and a podcast. He's just all over the place. And he's personally one of my favorite people to follow on Facebook. He's super active on Twitter. So if you don't recognize the name right off the bat, you would probably recognize some of his work or some of his posts. Our conversation today is so honest and so real. And so kind. That's one thing you'll notice right off the bat about Carlos is just this kind-natured pastoral type heart. Not to be Christian easy there with the whole pastoral word, but, but truly, he embodies that. In our conversation, we talk about the current state of Christianity in our country and this whole idea of deconstructing and how it can actually be a really good thing for those who are following Jesus. We talk about the basics of Christianity, how we need to get back to those, and what to do if you're kind of over church and don't want anything to do with it anymore. There's a lot of empathy around that in this conversation and so much good, good wisdom from someone who's been around the block a lot. I can't wait to share this conversation with you. It is such a rich one and Before we get into the episode, I have to do a plug for our Behind the Mirror Facebook group. If you are not in that group yet, you're missing out. Please opt in. We would love to have more faces inside that group. Those who are already in it are jumping up and down saying, yes, it's so good. So join us. You can opt in on my website, justajesusfollower.com backslash podcast, backslash podcast group, then check your email. I will send you an invite through your email. Such a great, great group. And if you have not rated us yet on iTunes, do me a favor, go to iTunes, rate this show, review, subscribe, all of those things really do support this podcast and help spread the word of what we're doing here and get other people to find out about us. It's an easy way to support this show. All of that being said, I cannot wait to introduce you to my friend Carlos, and he is probably one of my favorite pastoral, using that word again, humans on the planet. I have followed his work for quite some time, and I have a deep amount of respect for him and what he does. He's truly the real deal, and I know that you are going to just 
soak up so much of what he has to share and just, you know what, find a comfy chair, grab a cup of coffee, get a cozy blanket. And if you're in your car, just kind of, you know, go somewhere else and pretend that you're in the corner of a coffee shop and you've pulled up a chair to a table with me, my friend Carlos, and you. And we're just going to sit down and have honest, real, good conversation. So glad you're with us today. Can't wait to introduce you to my friend, Carlos Rodriguez. Here we go. Hello, Carlos. I am so excited to have you on the podcast. It is such a joy to get to talk to you. That's so nice of you to say. <laughs> oh, yay. Hi, Anna. <laughs> Hello. And of course, I have followed your work for years, and you and I have kind of watched each other's blog history back and forth. That's right. And That's right. I have so enjoyed watching how your whole happy sonship has just evolved. And I think. A lot of people know you as pastor, blogger, author. Can you tell the listeners the backstory of Carlos, where you come from? Okay. I would love to do that because um, I like to talk about myself. That's when <laughs> I, I need prayer for that. But <laughs> you, you are a pastor. You know, pastors are especially gifted at that. Oh, man, we definitely are, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I, I kid you not. I'm talking to you right now. It's what, 9.06 p.m., and I just had probably the most hilarious time with my kids I've had in a long time. Oh. The last the last week I've been doing this kind of like zombie type persona that I just all of a sudden roll my eyes up into my brain and kind of follow them around the room and turn off the lights as I'm chasing them around the house and they're like screaming their head off. And oh. I mean, it was just awesome. So a dad, number one, honestly. I mean, I literally have bellyache right now. From I, I was laughing so hard as my daughter's running around the room. Like, you know, that mix of like fun and terror. Yes. Um, she was having that. And I'm just like laughing so hard and loving it. And that's, I guess that's, I would say that's the main journey. It's learning that God is my father and that that's the kind of father he is. Like he wants to play, he wants to hang out, he wants to be a good father to me. He will correct me and discipline me when I need to, but he's also going to like just spend time and like we get to partner together, you know, because I've I've even come to like question even that use of like God's going to use you. And I'm like, really? Like a father? Like I don't use my kids. I partner with them. And, but I don't, I don't want to use them like a puppet master. I want to partner with them and hang out with them and, you know, do life with them, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you asked about happy sonship, really, that, that the, the whole thing was that word sonship, just knowing as myself, as a man who came from a very broken home, a lot of brokenness in his own family, I didn't have a dad who would run around with me, play zombie type of thing, you know, because um, he was drunk and he's like sleeping around with women and he's just, and unfortunately, it's kind of the classic tale of a Latino boy growing with this kind of macho persona that's, you know, kind of showing you what a man is. And it's like the opposite of what a man really should be. Right. All that to say, when I met Jesus and I have this kind of revelation of who Jesus is, and then I, 
But then it moved into this revelation of who God is as my father and all the filters that I had to think of fathers, which was mostly the filter of my own dad here on earth, um, kind of distorted that view. And eventually I started seeing God as this father who loved me, played with me. And really, then I, when I discovered Luke 15, everything changed because this is the prodigal father, the prodigal son story. And it's this father running towards his son, hugging him, kissing him. And I'm like, yeah, I think that's what Jesus came to do, just to tell us how good God is. And everything kind of has flown out of that. My blog, my nonprofit, et cetera, et cetera. Now I'm rambling. I'll take up an offering later. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. And yes, your your blog just echoes what you just said beautifully, that picture of Jesus really coming to give us a tangible picture of what a good father is. And you have, your dad yourself, you said that you have two boys and a newly adopted daughter. Is that oh, correct? Amazing. Her name is Setota, which in Amharic means gift. Every time we tell somebody from Ethiopia that her name is Setota, they're like, oh, that's my favorite name. Oh. It literally means gift. And she is an absolute gift to this family. I have no words. I could try to explain it and take 10 hours and not even come close to the joy, the pleasure, the pain, the suffering, the excitement of her being home. You know, it's just the best. And just that, again, it's, it's a reflection of every time I'm with her, I'm like, God, you really, the way you love is just the most incredible thing. And being now a father to her, not just the fact that she's my daughter, my only daughter, because I have two boys. Um, but the fact that, you know, a different story, a different timeline, a different, you know, different country, different language, but now becoming one as a family and how comfortable she feels in my arms and how much I love her being in my arms is there's nothing like it. And obviously social media is telling us that we're all looking for that place of belonging, right? We're right. desperate for it. We're just hungry for it. And I, I feel slightly sad that the church has created more programs than family. And sometimes we use the language of family, but we don't act like a family. We act like a business. So it's this, this really confusing kind of like, you know, we're all the family and spiritual fathers and whatever, but then we treat each other like, you know, we're business partners or whatever. Right. So it's right. Just, just refocusing on family, God, the family, and then us as a family and literal family, you know, her being part of the family is the best thing in the world. Yes. And we, we share that bond of being adopted parents. My oldest daughter I adopted. Oh. And yeah. And I've had her since birth. She's now a freshman in high school, which oh. is hard to believe. But you don't have a freshman in high school. You're lying to uh, me. I'm like 12, right? No. No. <laughs> oh gosh, you look so young, Anna. Good for you. <laughs> it's good genes. It is good That's genes. Ridiculous. Well, truth be told, I adopted her when I was 21, so I was quite young when I got Still, her. Still, girl. She's a freshman in high school? No. Come on. Yes. Yes. It's crazy. But that adoption thing, it does give you a different perspective on the, I'm choosing you to be a part of this family no yeah. matter what. Yeah. And that's, that speaks the God story so much um, better than I think any other picture can. It really does. It really does. I'm loving it, to be honest with you. You know, I read all the books about how terrible it's going to be. And of course, we <laughs> want it to be prepared and know that about it. I can imagine some things coming up. But the last four months, it's been heaven here. And oh, in the that. midst of in the midst of transition, in the midst of loss and in the midst of all the waiting, 
we are having the time of our lives. I kid you not. It's just the best. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And you have kind of a melting pot in your home because you have your Puerto Rican background. That's right. Right? Is from England. Am I right? That's right. Yeah. And your daughter's from Ethiopia. And, and you have in Raleigh, little... North Carolina. Yes. So this has probably given you a unique perspective on the world because you're coming at it from a lot of different angles and a lot of different backgrounds and cultures. How has that shaped how you view the world right now? Yeah, so, you know, I, I was talking about my dad and some of his issues, and I, I, I want to share the other side of it. In the midst of his addiction to alcohol, in the midst of his issues, you know, within himself, his identity and whatever, my dad was a genius at making the family belong to each other. So I've shared this in some other podcasts. I, I am the firstborn of both my mom and my dad's second marriage. And yet we weren't allowed to call our sisters from their first marriage half sisters. My mm. dad's ex-wife, I call mom, like my mom. I know that sounds bizarre, but my mom's ex-husband, like he's in some of our like Christmas portraits. It's, oh. It was like this crazy collection of people that no matter how broken we were we belong to each other mm. so somehow in the in the midst of the pain and the and the sin and everything else that we were experiencing as a family my dad was just my both my mom and dad really absolutely great at prioritizing family and they went through a time of separation that's how i ended up speaking english because we moved to lakeland florida for when i was 10 a year and a half that i didn't see my father but he came back he went through aa he did the program, did the 12 steps and said to my mom, I'm going to win you back. And he certainly did. And to this day, they have an amazing marriage. He's been sober. He is absolutely my, I'm not, not even trying to be cute. He is my best friend. He is my greatest support. Mm-hmm. And I get to, you know, I get to celebrate who he is. People meet him now. And they're like, they hear my stories from the past. They're like, nah, you're exaggerating. Like, I can't be the same person. Wow. I'm telling you, it's, it's, you know, what God does is pretty amazing. So, so yeah, it started with home. It started with my family. So I married Catherine. She's from Sheffield, England. I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. I mean, you can't get to cultures that are more different. Being, being early or being on time is a completely different concept, you know, (laughs) relaxing or working is a completely different, it's just so different. And we've been able through a lot of pain and turmoil and a lot of learning and growing just to do like prioritize family and just make family the number one thing. And it's been it's been wonderful to have such a kind of mix of a family and being able to still do that 14 years on. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And you are you're moving back to Puerto Rico. You sure are, which is amazing. We're moving back to Puerto Rico. And you have been such an advocate for the work that needs to be done in Puerto Rico. And mm-hmm. I know that anyone who's followed your work has not missed that part of your passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know what? I feel, I kind of feel bad about the fact that I've become more outspoken because it affected Puerto Rico. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, it's been one of my regrets. I was happy to kind of play the, Oh, it's okay. Let's just, let's just chill. Let's just be nice to one another because it wasn't affecting me directly. If it was something towards women, if it was something towards African-Americans, it was something through somebody else, even other Latinos, it was like, you know, like chill. Let's just, you know, Jesus is love. And 
And I took that position of almost like too blasé about it. But then it happens to Puerto Rico. We're in a humanitarian crisis. The administration is maybe not responding as much as it should have. Uh, like the media just kind of came, give the story and then left. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is how all my other brothers and sisters feel in Syria and in South America. And, you know, my Muslim brothers in, 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 in Burma. And I'm like, oh, now I understand why some people can be slightly annoying about Hey, we're having injustice here, and we need you to pay attention to this. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I. Long story short, the hurricane hit September twentieth. Three weeks later, I was in Puerto Rico with a team of seven. We were taking water filters. We gave clean water to more than fifty thousand people, and I haven't stopped since. Been there nine times, and now I'm moving my family there um, for the long term because there's so much work still to be done in Puerto Rico, and and because I'm Puerto Rican, I talk about Puerto Rico, but the rest of the Caribbean, so many of the smaller islands, um, U.S. Virgin Islands and U.K. Virgin Islands that got destroyed during the hurricane that need our attention. And it's it, it really, I've been convicted about Matthew 25. Like, what if I live for that list that Jesus said, welcome the stranger, give food to the hungry, water to the thirsty, visit the prisoner, care for the sick, whatever you do for the least of this, do for me. So I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm living for that list now. Oh, I love that. And you know, I, I know you mentioned a bit of regret about being so outspoken, but for mm-hmm. me personally, on the outside observing, I'm so thankful for your yeah. outspokenness because I think it gave, you kind of paved the way for people like myself who mm-hmm. had watched injustice done sure. to countries outside of ours at our hand mm-hmm. and watched oppressed people be pushed down even further mm-hmm. with the Bible being used to push that lens down. And I was so thankful to see you standing up vocally and opposing that. I think we've needed a voice like that. And so I personally am grateful and applaud all of your outspokenness. So thank you for saying that. Thank you. I, I, I really appreciate you saying that number one and number two, um, it's really kind of this, it's this tension of the joy of doing it and then the responsibility of doing it. Sure. I say this because you know how it is. We can write about anything. We can we could spend one hour a day writing about every topic that people are talking about. Um, we can get good content out there. You know, people people like yourself who you know you've been anointed to be a writer. You have the goods. You have the skill, et cetera, et cetera. But but there's something really beautiful. I remember. I always remember that um, that blog post you wrote about. Actually, you went to the strip club. That's the one that counted, you know, because you were there. It wasn't like you were at home thinking about what we should do about strippers. Like you actually went there and you talked to, you know, and and being in Puerto Rico and actually being on the ground and now moving there, there's this beautiful combination of joy and pain and, and in a way like, like not just talking about it, but being among them, being among the people. And it stops being like a prop so I could write a blog post and it becomes life and it becomes family and it becomes human beings made in the image of God who need help. I'm next, I'm going next week. I'm going next Friday with a team from Jesus Culture and we're going to be in a community about 400 families still to this day. We're talking nine months after the hurricane don't have water or electricity. Mm. That's just, you know, that's just, that's just wrong. Um, but I can say it's wrong, but if I'm saying it from here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I can tweet about it 30 times a day, it doesn't really change anything. 
it's valid right. it's valid to share no doubt about it it's valid to talk about it but that's just the first step actually being there is what counts being present being present that you know that i think that's what jesus did left the throne and came to be among us and not just to be among us to tell us he was better than us but to be a servant among us so i hope that's what we get to do oh i love that and i there is some sense inside of the church. And I don't know why this is, and maybe you can help shed some light on this. Mm -hmm. There seems to be this tendency to fear things that are different, to fear things that are outside of our everyday, blessed, privileged, normal. And where do you think that fear comes from? Because it's, it's, it's tendency that I see happening over and over and over again. It's, they just can't look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's human nature. I think, unfortunately, the here's this weird thing that I've been realizing lately. We do such a good job about, in a lot of churches, some smaller churches, even churches that we might think are not that great, they do a good job at making people belong to a tribe, right? So right. we belong and we get the denominational title or we get to be part of this church or the other church. And, and the whole belonging thing, I mean... I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert, but I, I've hanged around some of my my friends that are part of a gang called Salva Malatrucha from Central America, one of the most violent gangs in the world. And they tell you it's because they belong. They'll tattoo their whole faces. They'll do whatever it takes because they want to belong somewhere. Right. And, and the church does that. It does provide that. Unfortunately, the church is meant to be the place where everybody belongs. So... So we have the right language, but we then unfortunately turn it into only these people belong. The people that worship this way or the people that read these books or the people that follow these people on Twitter. So we're constantly creating these little tribes that it's Mm -hmm. a godly thing, right? That we belong somewhere, but unfortunately the church turns it into an exclusive thing as opposed to an inclusive thing. Um, So there's this, like I was saying before, there's this hunger for belonging and the church has this desire, has this kind of first step they get it we get it right but then we fall back on the second step and as you're saying there's this fear of the unknown and we end up missing out on the beautiful i mean i talk about it as a latino there's nothing like having a meal with like puerto ricans or you know can you hear me well Oh, yes. Okay, good, good. Sorry, my computer kind of went funny. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking too long. That's the problem. No, Um, it's wonderful. You know, there's this beautiful thing about Latino culture, about belonging, about eating together and spending time together. And I kid you not, one of the reasons why we're moving back to Puerto Rico is because we were there as a family for three weeks this um, during Christmas. And there was no electricity in my parents' house. Um, Mm. Most of the places we were going had no electricity, no water, some of them. And we're just sitting around for four hours. My kids were the happiest they've ever been. We're just doing jokes, telling stories, going deep in conversation. And Catherine and I kept looking at each other like, how are we not here? Like, this is, this is, this is where it's at. This is what we want. This is, this is what it, you know, this is church right here at my parents' house with like 17 cousins and, and some of them Christians, some of them not, and just sharing life and, and sharing food and sharing the little that they had with one another. And I think if the church focused a little bit more on that, and a little bit less on everything else, I think we would do really good. Oh, that's so beautifully said. And what a beautiful picture that paints. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the one thing that I continued to hear while I served as a pastor and even just life in general, what Mm -hmm. I continued to hear from 
from people, whether they say it outright or not, they somehow hint to this. They're all searching for that. Everybody wants that. And then you get the people that church hop one church after another because they keep searching for that tribe, that place of belonging. They do, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's an inherent need that we were designed with, and yet the place where we're supposed to be living this model the best, it seems to be where people feel the less less of that. They feel yeah. less included. They feel less wanted. They feel less heard. Um, so bizarre. It's so bizarre. And there's there's something that has just struck me lately as I see Christians divided specifically all this, you know, you're right, you're wrong, but it seems to center around the idea of what they think love is Mm -hmm. being the kind of love that wants to correct you. And because I love you, I'm going to try to convert you or because I love you, I'm going to tell you how you're going to burn for eternity unless (laughs) you believe exactly as I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have the other camp that says, no, love says we're all here Let's just embrace each other. Let's do this thing together. Let's find our commonality and not judge and not pick. So speak Mm -hmm. into that a little bit. Where do you think that division has come from? Yeah, so here's my plug to my second book, Drop the Stones. Thank you for that beautiful segue into it. Oh, you're so welcome. I mean, that's that's what what I tackle in the book. It's the story of John 8, right? This woman is caught in the act of adultery. And it's just like the be- the perfect picture of like the woman who is caught in the act of adultery, meaning she's like a, a legit known sinner. There's no doubt about it. We just caught her sinning. And then there, and then the other audiences, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, bring in the woman to get stoned because that's what the Bible says. And then there's God. There's Jesus, the son of God present in the temple. So it's like that's humanity right there. The broken, the ones who pretend that are not broken, and the one that can heal the brokenness. Right. That's that's it. We're, we're all included in those three. Yeah. And I love that at the end of that story. And I mean, we can talk about the story outside of church and people know it because everybody resonates with that statement. Whoever's free of sin, throw the first stone, cast the first stone. I mean, you can say that statement in the middle of nowhere in Indonesia and people resonate with it because it really is such a beautiful invitation. Now, what happened at the end of that story I think it's Jesus presenting to the church this sequence that is, if we follow that simple sequence, so many good things could happen. The sequence is this. The woman is caught in the act of adultery. There's no doubt about it. We all have sin. The religious leaders will judge you, will try to condemn you about it. Then the Savior, Jesus, who is the representation of God, saves you from the stoning. And then he makes this invitation. It starts with, neither do I condemn you. So the gospel has to start with, God does not condemn you. Mm. Give me whatever label you want to give me. Give me whatever sin or transgression you want to give me. Even if it happened 10 seconds ago, God says, neither do I condemn you. And because he says that, he's earned the right. It's almost like he's made a way to then say, go and sin no more. And as you're beautifully saying, there's one camp of the church that just wants to stick on the go and sin no more. And they want to preach about it. They want to tweet about it. They want to tell the world they're going to burn in hell. Go and sin no more. And then there's the other side of the church that just wants to be like, oh, nothing, no condemnation, everything's good. But I think both and, but in the right sequence. Mm. The people who are oppressed, we stand for them until those who, even if they're religious, even if they're the church itself, we stand against their hypocrisy and we say, no, don't condemn. But then, and then we remind people, God doesn't condemn you. And then when you've earned the right, because you've saved their life, 
and you revealed who God truly is, then you can actually welcome people into a journey of, you know what? These transgressions, these patterns in your life actually affect your marriage, actually affect how you're a father, actually affect how you're a good neighbor. So let's go and sin no more. But it's got to be that sequence. And I think the problem is a, a part of the church wants to focus on the first part. Another part wants to focus on the second part. And if we're able to see that, you know, it all belongs, it's just doing it in the right heart. I mean, things could really, really change. Well, and what you described there is removal of shame. Mm-hmm. Number one, for sure. And shame is a powerful thing. It has been used to oppress and control and manipulate people for since the beginning of time, essentially. Mm-hmm. So that picture you painted, it that's essentially what Jesus did, was he removed shame first. That's right. And we have a long way to go in that department a as a church. It's really <laughs> sad that we're doing it backwards. And I was just talking to a good friend of mine. His name is Douglas Campbell. He's a He's a professor in Duke Divinity. He's like the master when you're talking about Paul and the Pauline letters, et cetera, et cetera. And we, we just had lunch together today. We're having this awesome conversation about kind of we're talking about how to reach millennials. Forget I mean, I'm a millennial. And forget about us. Generation next, like those kids in Parkland, they're on a whole other level. These conversations that we're having about LGBTQ, about guns, they're already like, what? You're still talking about that? Like, oh, what? I know. I, I know. I know. <laughs> They're so far beyond that, that we're really, I mean, we are not setting them up um, to grow in a place of discipleship, of true community inside, you know, in the context of church. The church has a lot of work to do. And obviously it's easy for us here to talk about it. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged that we're having the conversation, but we have to like literally set some new paradigms. Like Jesus said, new wine needs new wineskin. There's no way around it. And we got to work on those new wineskins, which at the end of the day is actually the first wineskin, which is Jesus himself. Right. You know, you mentioned in that story of the woman caught in adultery, how Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially God saying, I don't condemn you. I think a lot of people who've been raised in the church, who've grown up inside of a faith environment, whatever structure you want to put them in, they have a hard time seeing that because here you have the Old Testament with a God who seemingly yeah. all he does is condemn. Mm-hmm. And then you have this New Testament picture, which is kind of a mixture of both. And then Jesus shows up and all he is is non-condemning, mm-hmm. except of course towards the religious. But help us bridge that gap. Help help the listeners bridge that gap because I think that's a, a big hurdle for a lot of people. Yeah, and I, and I understand it. Um, so I have this personal kind of check in my heart and this helps me a little bit. I'm like, if I want the God of the old Testament for the people I don't like, but then I want the God of the new Testament for me and the people that I like, then I'm missing God altogether. I'm just, oh missing my gosh, it completely. I love that. I love that. <laughs> cause it's funny that cause we talk about the God of the old Testament, but it's usually in the context of other people. It's usually in the context of those sinners X, Y, or said, um, right. But what, a, you know, for us is Jesus and Sundays, I'll get, I'll repent and the blood covers me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we know for a fact, and Jesus said it himself, scripture points to me. So we have to get better at knowing Jesus. So I'm, I'm, I've been here in Raleigh, North Carolina for nine years. I'm leaving um, to move back to Puerto Rico, just short of 10 years of living here. And I've been so surprised 
at the fact that people in a really bizarre way know the Old Testament more than the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Like they can quote scripture from Exodus and Leviticus more than they can quote the Sermon of the Mount. And of course, scripture is scripture and it's all an invitation to him. But really, the central figure is Christ. The whole point of Exodus, the whole point of the whole point of Leviticus is to show us that we need a savior, is to show us that we need Jesus. Um, right. If you've had bacon and shrimp, you're done. Like you're not good, right? <laughs> you need somebody to come and rescue you. And that's the whole point is to is to show us him, our need of him. And then he comes. And again, it's not like he comes to show off how amazing he is, how terrible we are. He comes to serve us, to die for us, to like touch the man with leprosy, to save the woman who was about to be stoned. He doesn't just come to tell us we're terrible and he's great. He comes to tell us that he loves us, that he welcomes us, that he believes in us, which is such a bizarre concept. Not just that he loves us, but that he believes in us. So Mm. we have to... We, we almost have to be intentional about focusing on Christ again. Um, I'm not saying you stop reading the Old Testament, but man, get really used to the red letters. Get really in tune with the Sermon on the Mount. Get really entrenched in that story of crucifixion and resurrection. Because if, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, um, you know, we're Jesus followers. Of course, we believe in Scripture and we, we read Scripture and we love Scripture. But it's not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Bible, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and we, we got to focus on the Trinity. And if our eyes are there, then obviously Scripture is the guy that keeps us set on the author and perfecter of our faith, which is Jesus himself. Right. And, you know, one thing that has helped me tremendously in my own workings out of the Old Testament, because I was born and raised on that stuff. So mm-hmm. I was just had the fear of all of it okay. <laughs> growing up. And I I started to realize that in the Old Testament, it, it's really documenting how people viewed God. That's right. You know, and then we see the New Testament. They're still wrestling this out. And then Jesus comes and he's like, hey. This is God. <laughs> this is God. <laughs> yeah. So all that stuff you thought was me. Yeah. No, no, no. This is what I'm like. And that that brought such relief to me because yeah. it showed the humanity right. of the scripture that we still do that. We still want to peg God for a lot of stuff. God has nothing to do with and a lot of shame and guilt that God never wanted on us in the first place. That's right. That's right. That's so good. Um, my friend, my friend, Brian son, I'm calling all these famous people, my friend, just so you know, it makes me feel better. <laughs> my good friend, Brian son says, um, <laughs> Jesus is what God has to say. And I've, and I've always added to that. Jesus is what God is still saying. Oh, I love that. that that's, he is the verb. He is the word. Um, he is the expression. He is, he is the presentation of the invisible God. We, he is visible now. We've seen him. And Jesus said about himself, I only do what I see my father doing. So Jesus saving that woman from being stoned to death is the father saving that woman. from. If Jesus touched a, a man with leprosy, that's that's because he saw the father touching that man with leprosy. So he's fully representing who God is. And every version of God that doesn't look exactly like Jesus, we have to come to terms and say, this is not God. If it right. doesn't look exactly like Jesus, one billion percent, it's not God. And if Christians, or again, Christians, followers of Christ can just start from that point, then we could, you know, we could move forward in so many ways and so many conversations about who we include or not, about who we welcome or not, about who we sit at the table or not. 
this is what God looks like, and he looks exactly like Christ. And, I mean, that's that's a beautiful invitation right there. He is. Oh, it is. I mean, who wouldn't say yes to that? Exactly. He's so attractive. <laughs> right. And, and I have said this for years. If people really knew him, no one would say no. Impossible. He's so it's impossible. Jesus the Son is so attractive because God is so attractive. And somehow we've kind of split them into these three weird personalities that seem to have a bipolar, you know, disease or something that they have different moods and different. And unfortunately, we've missed out on this beautiful trinity, this beautiful family um, that expressing the heart of God in, in such perfection. And Jesus is it's the easiest place to focus and to say, this is what God looks like, a humble servant who welcomes people to his table, who feeds the hungry, who heals the sick, um, who delivers those people who are oppressed, who stands with the poor, who actually spends time with the broken. This is what God looks like. This is who God is. And I mean, if the church could just, you know, 10% follow that, we would be in a good place. Oh, we would be in such a better place. And you mentioned Brian Zahn. I think he's about to do a series on deconstruction right now. Yes, he is. Oh, my gosh. He started, I think, last Sunday. It's absolutely mind-boggling already. He's just such a... Oh, I can't wait. You know, I'm actually kind of close in proximity to that church. And I'm like, ooh, yeah, maybe I can drive an hour and go. Oh, you Um, should. So special. But there is such a wave happening in the church of the of so many people getting angry about exactly what you just said that okay we're following what we're following mm-hmm. Jesus this looks nothing like Jesus mm-hmm. and they're going through this season of deconstruction and i have some listeners that are all the way out like they don't want anything to do with church anymore i have other listeners who are in the season of i think i'm deconstructing but i don't like that term it sounds too loosey goosey yeah, you know yeah. people are kind of all over the map right now and sure. in this state of confusion. So do you have any thoughts about that, about this rattling inside the church of deconstruction? Yeah, I'm so glad for it. It's so beautiful. And Mm -hmm. again, going back to my family, in the midst of like terrible turmoil and disruption and pain and big arguments, we never stop being a family. And that's Mm. And if we could just learn that, you know, that we can, we are in the midst of turmoil as a family. If I'm talking about the church, right? We, we use the classic term, the family of God. We're in legit turmoil where we have different generations, different trends, um, different moves, different expressions. And let's, the first thing we need to do is fully embrace who we are in that journey as opposed to try to be kind of, you know, try to be inclusive of one another. The first thing you need to do is like, it's it's really been helpful for our marriage. I'm like, I'm a Puerto Rican. This is how I express my emotions. And my wife has found so much joy in saying, I'm a British person, but this is how I express myself. And when you finally come to terms, this is who I am. And in a way, the last two years has really helped the church to really define itself. Like this camp believes this, this other camp stands by this, this other camps really cares about this. And as hard as it is right now, I think that's a really helpful thing if we, if we stay in the mentality of family, because now that we know where we stand, now we can have the really hard conversations and now we can really sit down and have those awkward moments of, you know, because before, in a way, the last 20 years in the church has been almost too, I don't know, too, like everybody's kind of okay. 
But the right. last two years really have forced us to have those conversations like, what? You believe what? And you did what? And you think what about these kinds of people and those people in that country? You know? So right. we're forced to have these difficult conversations. And I'm full of hope. Uh, as crazy as it's been, I'm really full of hope for the church. And we have to have those conversations because, again, like I was saying before, Generation Next are like, what? You're still talking about that? Like, they're, they're so oh, far they're ahead from moving on. And, and the benefit they have is they have been born and raised in, a, in an age of social media where they can move the masses. To them, it's not even how do you do this? They don't need a seminar. Like, they just, they just do it, right? They can move right. each other in a bizarre way. So I'm really encouraged and at the same time – um, terrified for them <laughs> because you know I'm, I'm hoping that we make room and not just room but actually we see them not just as the future but as the today and, and no doubt about it your sons and daughters will prophesy they are prophesying and I mm. hope that we listen to these prophets I know and I think a lot of people are finding themselves like you said in those hard conversations mm-hmm. with family with close friends, with pastors, with people in leadership, and people are getting hurt, and people are getting frustrated, and people are feeling shoved out. I know I heard from a listener recently that they've had to completely leave their church because their different thoughts are not welcome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So as putting on your pastor hat, Carlos, what, what would you say to those people that are finding themselves in a really uncomfortable spot? Okay, so as a pastor, I want to tell you, it feels so much bigger than it really is. Leaving a church sometimes feel like this massive thing. And oh my goodness, it, it's like two years of trying to get over these lost relationships. I've, <laughs> it really feels like that at the moment. And again, that's because so much of the language that we use in church is like family and whatever. And when you're leaving a church, it's almost like you're betraying your own kind. As mm. a pastor, that I've, I've been a local church pastor for 18 years. These the last two years have been the first two years that I haven't been like full time working for a local church. But for my first 16 years of doing that, I just want to tell any of my list, any of your listeners who are concerned, I'm like, be at peace, get out of mm-hmm. Jerusalem. If you need to go on a journey out of Jerusalem, I promise you, Jesus will meet you on the road. You won't even recognize him, maybe, but he will show himself to you. He'll have communion with you. And then you'll say, weren't our hearts burning? You know that story, the road to Emmaus? It's yes. like they're leaving Jerusalem. And my good, there's another really good friend who I absolutely love. One of my legitimately, like this is the man that I stand with. His name is Jonathan Martin. Um, he's an incredible writer, speaker. And he's he's working on that. He's been preaching. And I think he's working on, on his next book being about that. Everything was happening in Jerusalem, and these two guys who were followers of Jesus are now walking away from the place of, like, the temple, from the place of the center of religion. All the feasts were in Jerusalem, and they're walking away from Jerusalem. That's where Jesus encounters them as the resurrected Christ. They don't even recognize him, but their hearts are burning. And a lot of people are feeling like that. They don't recognize their own faith. They don't recognize what they believe in. They're like... They're even doubting some of the stuff that they grew up with. But in that journey, when you feel like you're leaving Jerusalem, I promise you, Jesus will meet you there. He will have communion with you and you'll enter into a whole new world. That's just, you know, it's bigger, wider and more inclusive. And God is all about that. Oh, that's so hopeful. 
That is so hopeful. Yeah. And I think a lot, I think what a lot of them run into, and I've sat with people as they painfully shared this utter fear that yeah. if they start to follow where they think that burning is leading them, that they're actually going to go burn in hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so sad. You know, they think that if they let go of any of the structures they had growing up, yeah. that that is just the cardinal sin and God will just smite them. Yeah, so sad. We've, we've unfortunately, the church has helped them believe that. We have, we've made people believe that the enemy is more powerful to deceive us than God is powerful to, you know, change us, transform us, and lead us to mm -hmm. something new. Um, we've kind of like fallen into that trap, into that lie, like I'm missing out or I'm falling into deception or whatever. Like God is just going to lead us because again, he's a father. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So Jesus is the way to the father. He's not the way into a new church, into a new move, into a new stream. He's the way to the father. And sometimes And again, I'm saying this as a man who's been a pastor for a long time. Sometimes that demands you leaving that place where you felt you were part of a tribe and moving out into a place where, and I'm telling you this now from experience, because for 15, 16 years, I had these amazing spiritual fathers and I owe them so much. I really, really do. But the last two years of deconstruction for me and kind of having to learn to actually God is my father. Jesus mm. really is my leader. I follow him and the spirit really, you know, I'm not perfect and I miss it, but he really is leading me. He really is my comforter and finding yourself in that place and building a family around that kind of new journey. It's a beautiful thing. So forever, whoever is listening and feeling maybe an element of shame that they left church or they're thinking about it. I mean, just, I'm, I'm going to say the opposite of 99% of pastors. Like, just take the journey, trust God, he will hold you by your hand, and I, I believe with all my heart, good things will come out of it. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. See, this is why I had to have you on this oh. show. <laughs> this right here. Thanks. Like, yes. And you know, that journey, as scary as it is for those of us that dare yeah. to, to quote Brene Brown, to brave the wilderness. You know, when you're out there, it is terrifying. That was brutal. But but God is so heavy. He's so like palpable. There's like you can like there's nothing like it. And as hard as those moments have been for me, I wouldn't trade them for anything. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think your identity is cemented in that space. It really is. It really is. I, I have you know, as a Pentecostal charismatic Christian who You know, I really believe in the move of the spirit. I really believe, believe especially in, in like Southern Hemisphere. I'm talking like Latin America, Africa. God is moving. God is doing some incredible stuff, stuff that is beyond what we're thinking about. Um, right. And it's so different. Again, the problem with new wine and new wineskins is that new things, you don't even know how they look like. You don't even know how it's going to feel. It's mm. so new that it's just hard to even, it's hard to even think, And I've, it's happened to me. I feel like I'm so out of the box. And then God starts doing something completely new. And I'm like, ah, get me back in the box. Like, what the freak is happening right now? Because it's so new. And it just demands trust. And mm -hmm. I feel the Spirit constantly telling me, you can either pretend, pretend that everything's all right, pretending that you know what you're doing, or you can depend. 
depend mm-hmm. on my spirit, depend on my word, depend on what I've said to you. So pretend or depend. Are you going to start? You're going to keep pretending every Sunday that everything's fine and you feel fine, or are you going to start depending on the one that you know is worthy of our trust? So we we have to make that choice of trusting, of walking the journey, of having the hard conversations as hard as they are. They're necessary, and and we'll move into what God is doing now, and and He really, really is moving. It, it's so true, and. It, there's a definite wave happening, not yeah. only in America, but I think worldwide. Oh, there's no just about it. Yeah, you can feel it in the air. It's, it's very, um, it's very evident. If you tune in, it's evident, yeah. and that excites me. But I think there is a lot of fear, of course, um, at first, like you said, because it is that that new thing. And one thing that has brought me great comfort is looking at my relationship with God, with the divine, with Jesus. Mm-hmm. As a relationship, and I've never been in a relationship that doesn't morph and grow right. and change. That's you know, it, it just it cannot stay the same because people grow, people change. I'm not who I was ten years ago, so God doesn't talk to me the same way He did ten years That's ago. Right. So right. that growing is a good sign. As scary as it is, it's such a healthy sign of a good, good relationship. It is. I'm with you on that one a million percent. And and going back to basics, you know, as you're saying, to like. We're in a relationship and, and and God, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and being trusting of that voice and, and following the sound of his voice and holding on to his promises, you know, by his word and and being honest with one another. Just going back to really basic stuff, um, worship for, you know, worshiping together and having communion, just the basics of having a meal with your friends and taking time to say, this is the body of Christ, this is his blood and remembering the cross. And I think in a beautiful way, all the shaking that's happening, everything that will remain will be the actual things that need to remain. So the shaking is just going to get rid of so much junk and baggage and unnecessary load that we've put on one another and just Mm. remain Christ, the center of it all. And, I'm, I'm excited about it. And uh, one of the reasons we're moving to Puerto Rico is because in the midst of legitimate humanitarian crisis and chaos, everywhere we go, in you know, up in the mountains where some communities, we went there six, eight weeks after the hurricane, and we were the first people that they saw. And we're worshiping together. We're, we're doing kind of, you know, both and. We're giving them water filters. We're bringing medicine. We brought doctors. And, and we started reconstructing homes. And yet at the same time with those same people, we're having rice and beans. And we're having communion. And we're praying with one another. And we're worshiping together on candlelight. And I, I think we're just going back to basics. And there's nothing like it. There's absolutely nothing like it. So hopefully you know we again we continue to have these conversations but more than just the conversations we we get to do it at home with the poor with the broken with the hurting with the lonely and with those under construction too well that's where jesus was that's right and i think we get closest to him when we strip ourselves of all of the excess that we don't really need and we get like you said back down to those basics it's a beautiful thing it really is it really is Oh, Carlos, I have loved this conversation. Okay, tell my listeners, if they don't already know where to find you, where they can find you, and where they can find your new book. Okay, awesome. Thank you for that. So I have a blog called Happy Sonship, um, H-A-P-P-Y-S-O-N-S-H-I-P, so Sonship as in 
you know, the Christianese word for sonship. Um, <laughs> and I've, I've kind of, um, I'm building this world, this online world around the word happy. So we do happy missions and we do the happy givers, which is our online store. And 100% of whatever you buy at our store goes to the work of the nonprofit. So we have a children's home in Peru. Obviously, we're doing relief work in Puerto Rico. We do prison minister, ministry here in North Carolina and in Puerto Rico now starting soon. And so, yeah, if you go into thehappysonship.com or thehappygivers.com, you'll find everything we do. Our, my book is there. My two books are there. and Lots of articles, you know, videos about some of our trips. And it's, it's a bit of a mess right now. There's so much stuff happening. God has opened so many doors, and I love it. Um, I'm getting some people to help me out to kind of clean it up and kind of put it all together. So we're, we'll get there eventually, someday. Oh, I love that. And I, I just have to take a moment to just tell you how much I believe in the work you're doing. Oh. And and I can say this because I've watched you for years. You're not a new face to me. Yeah. And you are authentic. You're real. Oh. And and just that, that Jesus light to get Christianese, if you will, it's in you. It just, it, it comes from everything that you do. And I've, I've really admired the bravery in your journey and being transparent and open and honest and diving in where a lot of people are afraid to go. So, so sweet of you. So sweet of you. Well, I'm glad I had that last minute of getting encouraged by you. Yeah. It was worth the hour of talking for sure. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, I meant it. I meant it. I Carlos. That. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. We'll have to have you back. Please do. Yeah. I mean, we're, I'm here for another five weeks in Raleigh. Then I'm, I'm doing five weeks in England um, with Catherine's family. They're going to meet our daughter. We're just going to have a kind of a rest in the in-between transition. And then August 3rd, I'm in Puerto Rico. Whoever's listening and you have a church group and ministry, you have a skill, you have something that you think will be helpful in Puerto Rico. I'm moving to Puerto Rico to host you. You're listening to me to host you to come your church, your group, your MPO, your whatever, any kind of group, small group. That's We're moving to Puerto Rico to host teams that want to come and serve. And we're going to have an amazing time doing it together. So whoever wants to reach out, go to the website, get the emails and let us know and we'll welcome you. Um, okay. I'm going to plan a trip now. And that I'm includes taking- you, Anna. That's right. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm packing welcome. up my babies and we're coming. You're more than welcome. I kid you not that we're moving there to be host. So come. Oh, I love it. I was deeply, deeply um, moved by what happened in Puerto Rico. It was something that Actually, the night it happened, I woke up in the middle of the night with a sick feeling in my stomach, and I didn't know why. And then when I saw the news the next morning, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah, so I it's a it's a deep burden of mine. I would love to come. Please, you're more than welcome. I I kid you not. I'm not trying to be cute here. You're more than welcome to come. Oh well, I will take you up on it. Please, I will. Please do, Carlos. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Hey there, I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.